What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Jack of All. Um, heard about the passing of a comedian today, uh, Bob Einstein, if you know that name. Maybe recognize the name Super Dave, Super Dave Osborne. Um, yeah, comedian, he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, some cameos and some other shows, but uh, beloved in the comedian world, so sorry to see his passing. It's funny, man, when a comedian dies, uh, it seems like the love that's shown in that community, right, in the comedian community is crazy, right, it's just overwhelming, and I think that from what I've seen or in documentaries, there's a Gary Shandling documentary that's sensational, Robin Williams documentary, is that though they are adored by their fans, comedians just feel really alone. You know, that's why it hurts the comedian community when one dies because it's such a tight-knit, like you talk about a fraternity, the comedian fraternity is real and it becomes even more tight-knit and, and close and um, whatever, beloved, the more PC culture gets, you know? It feels like they're ostracized even more, that they're kind of on this island, and so they have only each other to look to. Um, I remember seeing this interview with the late, great Patrice O'Neill, another comedian, and he was essentially trying to defend like another comedian's off-color jokes. So these jokes had come under fire, and it was this big uh, kind of outlash or backlash by by just society and by news outlets. So Patrice O'Neill was defending them to a news anchor, and um, this news anchor was saying how there are subjects that are off-limits, and you just can't joke about that. That's just not funny. It's not funny. And Patrice's point is that, yeah, it's not. that's because you're not in comedy, right? Your job is to tell the news. We have very different jobs. Comedians' jobs is to try to make everything funny. That's your job. It's to sit down, to take a subject that may not be funny, and you toy with wording and concepts until you can get people to laugh at something that really shouldn't be funny. So I, it sounds controversial, but let's let's go into it a little bit further, right? Um, comedy for a while there, by the way, was it's starting to swing back, but for a while it was just all about shock. It was about taking things that aren't funny and just adding gratuitous language and raunch and, oh my gosh, I can't believe he went there. And that's what was supposed to be funny. And that's not funny. I can't stand that. Just feels so cheap to me. So I'm not just saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. That's that's stupid. That's uh, that's cheap humor to me. But what I do find genius and why I like stand-up comedy so much is when people take something that's terrible and they deconstruct it. And they show through comedy that that thing that you thought was untouchable and just so terrible is not as far out of the question as you think. That's what I think is genius about comedy, right? 
Every horrible thing that has been done throughout history has probably started with a thought or a compromise, something that we have maybe all made, right? That's that's kind of that scary, uncomfortable piece of deconstructing horrific acts is when you realize, oh man, I might not be as far removed from those decisions as I thought. And then I love that. <laughs> I just think that is interesting. I think it's brilliant. Uh, I love the social commentary side of stand-up, you know. Uh, I think that a lot of times that kind of blowing the doors off of a subject, just going for it, is the only way to get somebody to move, right? If somebody's ideology is at a 3 out of 10, I don't know what sort of metaphorical scale that is, but let's just say they're at 3 out of 10. This is where I am. I'm a 3. And you introduce a 5, people say, no way, nope. I'm at a three. There's a reason I'm at a three. This is what I am. and But if you push it to 10, if you just go insane with it, then it seems that people are willing to entertain a five. You have to push this thought process and the hypothetical so far that people go, okay, maybe. Or maybe I, I kind of see the beginning of that. And it's a way to inspire thought to get people thinking beyond what they normally would. People who are at a three would not entertain a four or five, but would when you push it that far. So I I respect that approach to comedy. And I think that people in places of influence should be doing this, right? I think that my what I viewed my job as a pastor is not to tell people what to do. It's not to tell people what to think. It is to give this uh, scaffolding, right? Maybe give the trellis for the, the ivy of thought to crawl around and say, here are some things that you need to articulate thoughts about and have people say, gosh, I've never even, never even sat down and actually verbalized what I think about that. I think that's what people of influence should be doing, not telling people what to do, but instead giving them these different thought processes of things to deconstruct. Um, and yeah, if a comic makes you uncomfortable, uh, again, makes you uncomfortable with concept, not with just like gratuitous garbage, then I think why that makes you feel uncomfortable is interesting. Think about that. Put words around that, right? Usually discomfort comes when we realize we're either on our way towards a 10 or we start to see how people actually kind of descended morally to a 10. Uh, that was Breaking Bad for me. I remember I binge-watched Breaking Bad and by season four, he was making these crazy, horrible decisions that if you just started watching at season four, you'd be like, this guy is a nut job. But since you went on this gradual moral decline with him from season one, it made you uncomfortable because you started to rationalize the decisions he was making. And you'd start to say, okay, that's probably the decision I would make too. Then you're like, oh my gosh, where am I? Where am I mentally? And that's important, right? Uh, it's so much easier just to mark the the craziness or mark the tens 
as monsters and, you know, how dare you say I have anything in common with those people? It's way easier to do that than to actually entertain maybe the beginning of what that decline or that process looked like. Uh, that's why I think Quentin Tarantino is a genius. He's one of my favorite directors because he takes these huge like challenge projects, right? He's taken some of the most horrific historical occurrences and he has challenged himself to get people to laugh at those, to think differently at those. Um, and not to downplay them, right? Not to say that those things are funny at all. Uh, the occurrences aren't funny, but to somehow break through the obvious horror and to humanize an element enough for people to laugh. I think that's brilliant, right? Take um, Django Unchained, right, for example. So the movie's all about slavery. And you say, is there anything funny about slavery? No, right, obviously, there is not. Uh, and I think that was this challenge taken by Quentin Tarantino. Now, I think he said, like, I wonder if I can, through storytelling or whatever, take this lockbox off the word slavery enough to bring kind of human fallacies to the front burner, right? There's this lockbox on, on there and people hear slavery and have these certain mentalities and thoughts. Is it possible? Is it possible that we can see things uh, in a different light? One of the scenes in the movie uh, is this scene where there's this clan rally and they're getting ready to go find Django, and they are complaining about the hoods that they have to wear, and it is hilarious. Uh, one of the in this scene, one of the guys' wife, uh, his wife stayed up all night making these hoods, and he's getting like really offended that nobody appreciates it. And then there's this another guy in the clan. They're wearing hoods, so you can't see them, but he's this really like effeminate clan member. And he's kind of like the peacekeeper of the group. At one point, he goes, Okay, I think we can all agree that the hoods were a nice idea. And not pointing any fingers, but they could have been made better. And it was just so ridiculous that in the middle of the most horrific thing that's happened in human history, one of, one of the most horrific uh, that we would start to see the clan members as humans and start to see arguments that maybe we've had or thought processes that we've had. I think that's brilliant. I think it is genius. Um, because what happens is actually kind of the same thing, right? Um, typically, especially with the hoods, we tend to do almost exactly what the clan did. Uh, the clan would label and objectify anyone who was black, right? They saw them as a race, uh, as an inferior race. They couldn't see beyond that label. They gave them a label and said, this is who you are. And so we start to do that with the clan. We would start to see the clan members as these hooded, nameless, faceless objects of just pure evil, right? And we'd put a lockbox around the KKK, put a lockbox around slavery and whatever else, instead of recognizing that these were people, right? There were people. 
And if they were people, then there was actual societal pressure and family dynamics and thought processes that molded these guys into the hate that they lived in. Isn't that interesting? That's so, that's fascinating. Don't you think we can learn from that, you know? I don't think we, we shouldn't be naive to think that we are just impervious to just destructive ways of thinking, right? Or even actions. We are all capable of crazy things and we need to learn. If there's something we can learn about the descent or the humanizing of these things instead of just putting this lockbox around it and that's what it was, uh, then we need to dive into that. And that's why mainstream media crucifies comics, right? Because it just seems like there's so many lockboxes this day and age and things we're not allowed to talk about anymore. You just can't talk about anything anymore. You know, there's a lockbox on political parties, a lockbox on genders, a lockbox on whatever, all these things to the point where everybody's just so heavily labeled that your opening sentence pretty much on a subject automatically places you in a camp that you can't get out of. As soon as you make a statement about something, there's this determining of who you are. Oh, okay. Oh, you're one of those people. Well, good. I instantly have this full psychological breakdown of who you are when you don't know that person at all. You know, how combos um, are like, you know, did you hear Trump's speech last night? Trump's an idiot. Everything he does is so stupid. It's like, not everything, right? We can't even, we can't talk about the different elements of the speech or what he's doing. We can't talk about anything anymore because it's just an automatic label for both political parties, for sexual orientation, for all these things. The labels are just insane and keep us from ever talking to each other. It seems like you're either labeled like, you know, a Republican who hates minorities or you're labeled a Democrat who doesn't understand the real world or whatever. Neither of those are true. We have Fox News who's defending everything that Trump does, even the things that are atrocious. We got CNN attacking everything Trump does, uh, even the good things. We just can't talk anymore. So that's one of the reasons I listen to comedy, to kind of break open the lockboxes, you know, break down the labels and make some actual thoughts of my own to what's going on. I don't know. Some of it kind of makes me fearful for what my kids are growing up to, you know, like it's a, if we, if we are here now, imagine another 30 years, almost, it's tough. I almost get kind of hopeless and fearful when I think about it, you know, just the way society is headed. Makes me want to just build a nuclear bomb shelter and move our family in there and we just live in there for the rest of our lives and get really good at puzzles. You know, we talked about fear yesterday and I'm starting to recognize fear creeping up surrounding my kids' well-being. That's That's been a thing recently. And not just like health and all of that, but um, maybe kind of protection. Protection of innocence, uh, uh, yeah, protection from just destructive thought processes and, and lies about 
about who they are, kind of the stuff that society is made up of right now. And, uh, yeah, I don't know, just keeping them from the bad stuff. And I know that fear, because this was how I operated earlier in life, fear just leads to adding more and more rules until just eventually life becomes rules. And so that's not what I want to do. I don't just want to add rules, but I'm trying to figure out this balance, you know? Like, how do I, how do I raise my stinking kids, man? Can somebody just come do this for me? Uh, I read a book called Give Your Kids the Keys. It's by this guy named Adam Statmiller. Great book. A really cool guy. I actually looked him up after reading the book and he lived about an hour away. So I went and had lunch with him. He seemed like just a really solid guy. But a huge topic of the book was what he set up as fear-based parenting versus faith-based parenting. This was kind of the shook-me-loose concept. He said that fear-based parenting is you are so consumed with what could go wrong. You know, you're thinking, what do I keep my kids from? And how do I shield them from whatever, fill in the blank. And man, my mind goes there easily. You know, I think, how do I shield them from the wrong in the world? What do I do when the temptations of junior high and high school creep in? How do I keep them from that? And I think that because over the course of my life, I've been in so many different things. I've been in band. I've been in choir. I've uh, been in sports. I was in student council. Uh, I was the bottom of the heap as far as reputation goes. And then in my senior year, I was on prom court, you know. So I've seen both of those sides. I was in the military. I was in the church world and nonprofit, right? All of these different things. But now I live in Orange County where the dominant activities are surfing, you know, like beach life and skateboarding. And if my kids get into that, I have no wisdom whatsoever in those areas. I don't know anything about that. I don't know how to warn them. You know, I, I don't know if you just go surfing and people are just passing drugs around. I, I just, I don't know anything about it. And so I get anxious about that. I'm like, dang it. Can my kid just do something that I know about so that I can know how to best prepare them? And so I get really anxious. And man, I tell you what, that is the wrong attitude. <laughs> that is the wrong mentality. Uh, yes, for right now, one of my jobs is to protect my kids. Absolutely. Absolutely, that's part of my role. But more importantly, I'm supposed to recognize who they are uniquely created to be, right? I'm supposed to nurture that originality. I'm supposed to develop their independent dependence on God. I want them to be dependent on God apart from me, that they don't need me as a mediator for their relationship with God. Who are they uniquely? Um, yeah. So they, along with everyone else on earth, including me, including you, are created to make a unique mark on this world, right? We, are, we all are. We are created to be lights in the darkness. In our own unique way, um, we are able to show the image of God in our lives. 
And uh, my kids are designed to bring light. My kids are designed to speak words of life. Uh, they're designed to speak words of beauty into the garbage that is being spread in society. And man, don't be anxious, Graham. This world will be a better place because of my kids. This world will be a better place because of me. This world will be a better place because of you. So shame on me, man, for thinking hide my kids. I'm going to freaking unleash my kids. You know? Man, is there a drug, a drug problem at Huntington High? I'm, unleash the cowgill kids, man. Right? Drugs come from hurting kids insecure in who they are. Let those daggum cowgill kids speak some life into people. I don't have to know everything about what's going on. <laughs> I don't have to have everything solidified in my mind and perfectly protected. There could be question marks, right, for us. Things don't have to be set up perfectly. Situations don't have to be without risk, right? We take our character, our courage, who we are uniquely, take it into that and have faith that God is going to use you to positively affect the landscape of whatever you're involved in if you just take a big step towards it. Uh, it's a new year. It's a new year. And it seems like uh, what God is already shaping in me is this is the year to step towards fear. And so whether that is a podcast uh, where I start to deconstruct labels and enter things that I think are, are interesting, though they seem controversial, or for me to begin to cultivate my kids' courage instead of thinking of hiding them, of unleashing them, uh, man, we are, we're taking some bold moves in 2019. This is going to be the year we look back on and say, all right, God did some things in that year. So thanks again for joining me today. Hope this is a little bit of inspiration for you and we'll try again tomorrow.